As you are seated this morning, look at least one person, smile at them, and tell them, I'm glad you made it to church today. Man, it is a good day. It's good to have new friends with us this morning. It's good to have others of you back with us today. We go to the book of Lamentations this morning, chapter number three, picking up the read in verse number 19. Jeremiah the prophet is the author of the book of Lamentations, and it's coming at a time when the people of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, have been devastated, we'll talk more about that shortly, and brought into captivity by the Babylonians. Verse number 19 says this, I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. I want to tell you this morning, now is the time to have hope. Amen? Here's the reason that we can have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Anybody say praise God. Then it continues, for his compassions never fail. Say praise the Lord. Then it says, they are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good. Look at somebody say, the Lord is good. Oh, so look at somebody else say, the Lord is really good. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Now, last Sunday, as we were sharing in the Word of God on the topics of of putting fear in its place, we began to, to look at some great truths. First, we talked about the fact that conquering your fears requires knowing that God knows best. Anybody remember that black and white television program, Father Knows Best? A few of you do. Let me tell you, God is our great heavenly Father. And he knows the best for your life. We looked at a second truth. God does his job better than we can understand. We have limited understanding. Do you consider yourself smart? Wave at me today. Praise the Lord. It's not a trick question. That's all right. I mean, how many of you, you're semi-confident, you know, and you kind of feel pretty good about yourself, yes? But, but we do know that God knows better than we know. And then we looked at a third principle that was very important, and we said fear must be taken captive. Friends, we live in a time where fear will battle against you to defeat you. You and I must take fear captive in our lives. Well, today we're really going to look at two passages of Scripture. We're going to be in this section in the book of Lamentations, so you can keep one finger there, or you can keep that marked. And then we're also going to go to a passage of Scripture in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 30. And as I told you earlier, the book of Lamentations is really described by its title. Lamentations is talking about a lament. There's sorrow. Jeremiah had just lived through this time when the Babylonians had come up against the people of Israel and they had destroyed them. The the level of destruction is really beyond what we can understand because the entire nation had crumbled and fallen. The hundreds of years of history of Israel had come to a screeching stop and a halt as the people of Babylon now were the ones who had their way with the Jewish people of Judah and Jerusalem. They destroyed their cities. 
They stole all of their household belongings. They took them into captivity. Probably every family knew personally someone in their own family or someone close to them who had been barbarically killed. In addition to that, there had been many who had been plundered and raped and destroyed and humiliated, and they had been beat down physically, emotionally, and verbally. And in the midst of that setting of life, they said, there's really nothing left. I want you to understand today that you may be in this room going through one of those times in life where you've gotten bad news that's really bad news. You know, I I told you at the beginning of this series, I cannot tell you that you will never go through bad situations or hard times. Because the Bible just simply does not say, because you're a believer in Jesus Christ, everything will be easier. It will all come up good for you every day. Instead, there is a truth that sometimes you and I go through hard times. Some of the things in my life that have been difficult, I remember the day I got a phone call. And the call was that an accident that one of our family members had been in had been such that it had destroyed and it had completely totaled a vehicle. Hard news. Remember another day, I was on my way with some of the folks here to go to the, uh, the, the National Day of Prayer Rally. Do you believe that your car should work as you go to a prayer rally? And we got in the car, and something was weird. Turned it off, turned it back on. It was drivable. We got there. I went and called the folks after we were done and, and said I need to get it checked. And they, then they told me, hey, your power steering went out. That'll be about $2,000. That's bad news. Or there was the day that I remember we heard that my mom's cancer had returned, and they said she has four to six weeks left to live. That's bad news. There was the day that The doctors called us in and said, there's really nothing left that we can do for your father. Even though he's been on life support, we need to remove that. Let me tell you, that's bad news. And you may be going today through the worst of times. I don't know. It might be a physical situation. It might be a financial situation. It may be a relationship that's under pressure and in trouble, and you're not sure your marriage is going to make it or your relationship with your kids, or, or maybe you're facing a legal challenge and you don't know how to get through it. But let me tell you, in the worst of times, God is still there. What do you do in those times? Well, the first thing that we can establish today is that we should look to God when your worst fear comes true. Go to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're now going to look for a few moments at the life of King David. It tells us in in 1 Samuel chapter 30, David and his armed men reached Ziklag on the third day. To set the scene, David had run from Saul and he'd run to the land of the Philistines and he'd been there for about a year and a half and he was going to go to battle with the Philistines but they wouldn't let him. So they sent him home. It says, now the Amalekite had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone in it. So the first thing we see is they burned the city. Look at somebody say it was burned down. Next thing that we see is they taken everybody captive. So look at somebody else and say they took them captive. Right, burned it down, took everybody captive. It says, both young and old, they killed none of them, but they carried them off as they went their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. And so they plundered the city. So look at somebody said plundered. 
So they burned it, they took the people captive, and they plundered everything that David and his men possessed. It was gone. It had been taken away. And we see, it says in verse 4, so David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Some of you have been in that circumstance. You've wept. Grown men have cried. The bravest, most courageous ladies in this room have sat down in a corner and put your hands in your face and you've cried because of the pressures and because of the disappointment and the discouragement and the fears that Satan has brought against you. And we see these mighty warriors wept that day. David's two wives have been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. You know, when bad things happen, people are rarely in a good mood. They get bitter. They get angry. You even see them at church and you say, how are you doing today? And they say, not that great. Their tone is sharp. What's wrong? I had a flat this morning. Couldn't find my jack. All the problems of life. People were angry and they were bitter. Why does the bitterness speak of? Sometimes we don't understand why God is letting this happen in our life. God, if you were real, God, if you really loved me, this would have never happened. They spoke of stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and daughters. But, now listen, David found strength in the Lord, his God. David had been living in Philistine territory, if we go back and look, for about a year and a half. He had joined, tried to, in chapter prior, chapter 29, he tried to join the Philistines in battle. He arrived with the men that were fighting with him, and the Philistine leaders looked and said, this is the man that they sang about, David Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. Get him out of here. We don't want him a part of this. So he'd been rejected. He'd been working for the king of Gath. His name was King Achish for a time. And during that season, what had he done? He'd gone on raids and he would kill and he would murder and he would lie and he would steal and he'd bring back some of the plunder to the king. And he did those things and he was sowing, let me just say, bad seeds. David was running from his call. He was running away from the plan that God had for his life. But everywhere that he went, the reason that he found himself in despair was because he felt like he couldn't do anymore to make God's plan happen. Have you been there? He'd been serving God. He'd been faithful to God. He had loved God. He had done what God had told him. And time after time, it seemed like that the noose was tightening and that Saul was closing in and he became afraid and he became discouraged and he ran for his life because he really didn't feel that God's promise was going to come true. This Sunday morning, some of you may feel like God's promise to you is never, ever going to come through. Often our own fears come as a result of seeds that we have sown. Not always, but often we are reaping what we have sown. It's interesting that David for a year and a half had been sowing bad seeds. What would he do? If you look in the scripture, it says that when he would go, he would raid a town and that he would kill the people that were there and he would come back and lie about where he went. And yet this man who was going through a dark season was the same man that God said was a man after his own heart. David Guzik writes this. He says, as they came within a few miles of the city, the hearts of David and his men must have brightened. 
As soldiers, they were discouraged that they hadn't been allowed to fight with the Philistines, but they knew they were coming home, and home meant family and familiar surroundings. But that bright thought quickly turned black as night. Even off in the distance, they saw something was wrong. Smoke rose from their city, but it wasn't the smoke of cooking fires. It was too much smoke for that, and the smoke was too black. They wondered why no one had come to greet them afar off. Where were their wives and children? Weren't they glad to see them? But when they came to the city and saw it was a ghost town, a pile of burned rubble with no voices of the survivors, it seemed that everything was lost. There may be some in this room today who with one phone call have received a message and it seems like everything is lost. Everything is lost in your circumstance financially. Everything is lost in your family. Everything is lost on a job. Maybe like a person like Joseph or Job who felt everything was gone or Jeremiah who were speaking to a stubborn people and telling them the truth and it really wasn't your fault. You see, not every time that bad things happen, it's not always your fault. Sometimes you're a victim of circumstances. Joseph was sold into slavery. Job was serving God when disaster came. Jeremiah was the voice of truth in a dark world. What did they do in those dark moments? Well, we know that Joseph turned to God. It says in Genesis chapter 39, even as he's being tempted by his mistress to, to have an affair with her, he says, no one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He said, I'm not gonna turn against God even though life hasn't been fair with me. When Job began to hear of all the disaster that befell his house, and in Job chapter one, verses 20 through 22, it says, at this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Oh, there's a word for us right there today. Be careful in your hours of distress not to charge God falsely. Not to say, God, I'm angry at you. I hate the things that you've allowed to come my way. You're not fair, God. You see, Job didn't do that. He said, you know what? The good's come to me from God. And the bad's God's allowed to come. You know, God doesn't always send the bad, but sometimes he allows the bad to come because he wants you to grow up and grow stronger. He wants you to become a stronger believer, a stronger person of faith, a person of courage. Similarly, David turned to God in the sixth verse of the chapter we read. It says, but David found strength in the Lord. So when your worst fears come, you can look to pity. You can look to worry. You can look to drug or to drink or to the arms of another person. But your only real help is going to come from God. You know, we can also see in this passage in your greatest fears, remind yourself of all of God's unfailing truths. You know, we just came through the Christmas season, and most of us get a little bit of time off at Christmas. Maybe you get Christmas Day off, or maybe Christmas Eve, or maybe you get a whole week. I don't know. But here at the church, after all the Christmas programs and the Christmas uh, Eve service and all those things have come and gone, we have a little bit of a break. And so that was true at our house. And, and I found myself doing something as I, I was sitting at home and, you know, just enjoying some time off. After a few days, I got bored. 
You know, I think it's interesting. When you get bored on your vacation, what do you say to yourself? Man, I wish I was at work. But sure enough, you go back to work. And what is it that you say? Man, I wish I was at home. Right? What is it that speaks of how we easily become unsatisfied? Oh, it may not happen in a day or two, but it, it happens to all of us. David had sowed some terrible seeds, and he was reaping the harvest of his actions. In verse 1, now listen, this is out of the New King James Version, different version, but listen to what it says. Now it happened. Look at somebody and say, it happened. Now it happened. When David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. Now I want to tell you something, friends. It certainly did happen, but it did not happen by accident. Nothing happens in your life by accident. How do you know that? Because the word of God says the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. They're directed by God. Yes, you see, God has a reason for the joys and the heartaches of life. And God never wastes a hard situation. I'm going to say it again. God never wastes a hard situation. We should also praise God for that because there's a reason behind that situation coming your way. There's a reason for the waiting time. I don't like to wait. Anybody like to wait? And when I go to the grocery store, I always look for the shortest line. <laughs> hey, how you doing, right? Why do we do that? Because we like it. We like to, you know, when you go to the post office and all you need is stamps. Do you, any of you say, I'm just going to stand in the line to, to be a participant and, and, and just be able to interact with the postmaster? Or do you look for a machine? Right? I don't want to wait around. I got things to do, places to go, people to see. There's stuff that's got to be taking place today. We don't like to wait. In David's case, his heartache came because he had been doing things his own way, and God used this to get his attention. And often God uses painful situations to get our attention. He lets those things come to slow us down and to make us get serious. I have noticed in my life I'm a lot better at praying when I have problems. Anybody else? Any of you really get pretty good at praying? And you're coming to church and saying, Pastor, I really needed one of those prayer lists because I'm going to be spending some time in prayer this week. Right? You're committed to, to going deeper in those difficult times. Painful situations have a way of screaming at us and giving us clarity. Things become pretty clear when we have problems, don't they? We try to get that painful circumstance off of our back. Now, that was David's situation, but Jeremiah's situation was different. Jeremiah was a good man. He was a godly prophet. He was a voice of truth in the midst of a backslidden nation and a backslidden world. He was a person who spoke to his, his community of their wickedness, but now he was overcome with the grief because often in life, we are impacted by other people's decisions. And it says here in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Jeremiah speaking, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, 
my splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped from the Lord. God, I don't know where you are. I don't even know why this happened to me, God. I was doing what you said. You could read about Jeremiah. He was even thrown into a pit and left there to die, and if it wouldn't have been for some good people intervening on his behalf, he would have died there. But he went through terrible circumstances, and yet in the midst of all of that, he said, God, I forgot what prosperity even looked like. Have you ever been sick so long, you forgot what it was like to feel good? Have you ever forgotten what it was like to not have pain? Whether you've brought your fears on yourself like David, or you've been a victim of circumstances like Jeremiah, remind yourself of God's greatest benefits. Listen to what Jeremiah reminds himself of. Verses 21 through 25. He says, because the Lord loves us, we will not be consumed. Well, that's a great place to say praise the Lord. The Lord loves us. Because the Lord loves us, we will not be consumed. Next, he says, God's compassions never fail us. God has always been and will always be better and more compassionate to you and me than we deserve. Praise God. Number three, he says, every single morning we wake with new hope. Oh, we can understand this one. You ever gone to bed tired, sad, disappointed, a heavy heart? Maybe you even woke up in the middle of the night worrying, stressed out. But isn't it interesting that it seems that God is so good that joy seems to break forth in the morning? Now, it doesn't mean that everything is gone. It doesn't mean that every heartache has, has dwindled away. All that loved one still may be gone and they may have passed and there still may be tears in your eyes. But there's something about the morning breaking that shows us afresh and anew that God is still at work and he's still alive. And that his purposes for our life have not failed. Next, what does he remind himself of? He reminds himself of God's faithfulness and he says God's faithfulness is great. Fifth, he reminds himself, the Lord is our portion and he will provide. He is the one who will provide. So I'll lead us to another thought. You and I need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Now first, David could strengthen himself by remembering God's love. At this point of, of total loss, David could see God's love in the way that the Philistines rejected him. Remember how we said that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord? You ever had a problem that as you looked back on it, you said, wow, that problem really saved me from bigger problems, from bigger situations. One writer puts it this way. If God had not sent him back home through the rejection of the Philistines, it would have been months and months until he returned, and the situation would have been far worse. That which stung him before became sweet to him now and a most precious expression of the Lord's love. I told you a few months ago, about a year and a half ago, one of our family members had a bad automobile accident. They destroyed the vehicle. In the process of that, though, there was good. God has a way of working good out in the midst of bad. It was a newer vehicle, had better safety uh, features, and because of that, no one in the car was hurt. The, the worst thing was a bruise on one person's knee. So praise the Lord. But you know, the car was still destroyed. 
But you know, it gave us a little bit of time to, to redevelop some things and to move some things around and make some better transportation decisions. And as I got five, six months, a year later, I looked back and said, even though that's nothing that I would have desired, I never would have planned that, I never could have wished that would have occurred, even so that happened, God was good enough to bring about good in my life and my family in spite of the problem. Now, what are we talking about? David looks around, and the guys are upset. The city is smoldering. His wives are gone. His children are gone. His stuff is gone. And he said to the guys, man, guys, aren't you glad that we got back when we did? There's a chance of recovery. There's a chance of hope. There's a chance of restoration. Who knows what's happening with our wives or family as they've been taken captive. But if we get out there and we go right now, there's a chance of recovery. Friends, let me tell you, God's given you a chance even though your situation may be bleak. Even though you may be experiencing the deepest of sorrows and the worst of your fears. Second, David was strengthened by remembering his purpose and his calling. Guzik writes, he could shake his head, clear the fog, and say, I'm a man anointed by God, called by God, and promised by God to be the next king of Israel. You know, he needed to remember right now that it was no longer time to be thinking about being the bodyguard of King Achish. It was time for him to return to his almighty divine calling that God had on his life. This Sunday morning, what is God calling you to do? What touch does he have upon you? And maybe you ran from it for a while. Maybe you've gone your own way. Maybe you've gotten lost in life. And God is saying, I've never forgot the calling I placed on you. Third, David could remember God's track record of faithfulness. Friends, God's been better to you. He's been faithful in your life. He's been faithful even when you tried to take the wheel. You ever tried to take the wheel? Anybody remember driver's education? Oh, I, I was talking to one of the young men this morning. They were in the process. I said, what have you been doing? They said, I'm in, I'm in driver's ed. I said, that's good stuff. Back when I was a kid, you know, you could get your driver's license on your 15th birthday. What a nightmare, Right? And I remember going and getting my driver's license and my dad got a car and I told you about this. It was a car that my mom and I were supposed to share. It was that 1975 AMC Pacer, hated it. But I was, it was, I was getting better, you know, just driving, driving to school. My mom was the one driving with me that day. My, my sister was in the back seat and I remember I got in and buckled my seatbelt because I went to driver's ed in the days when they were beginning to teach you that you needed to wear a seatbelt. Anybody remember the days when seatbelts were optional? Oh, I remember my parents hated it when they first put those seatbelt things that would beep in the car. My dad bought a new car, and they beeped every time they didn't put their seatbelt on. They were angry. How dare they tell us that we have to wear a seat? This is a free country. Man, they'd, they'd buckle those seatbelts and sit in front of them. I remember my mom and dad doing that. And nobody's going to make me wear a seatbelt. So I was, I, but I was of the seatbelt generation. So, man, I buckled in, and I was excited, and I was, I was sitting in the car, you know, I was in the driveway. I was about to drive to school, you know. I was kind of get a smile on your face. Crazy smile. I'm not really sure why you're smiling, but there you are. And then my mom gets in the car, and this is a true story. She got, got in the car, and as she, she first of all buckled her seatbelt. Now, that was weird. <laughs> she buckled her seatbelt and looked at me with intentionality. And then she turned herself sideways in the car seat. 
and she braced her arm against the front of the car, the dash. And then she looked at me and she said, okay, I'm ready. And I thought, really, mom? Come on, come on, what are you talking about, right? And so that's, those are those days. But if you're driving along, let's talk, think about this spiritually. Have you ever tried to help God out and reach over and take the wheel? Whoa, God, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, Lord, I'm not sure I want to go over there. Right? Right? We try to take control, but we need to remember the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. You see, David had been on the run. I'm not going to tell you he hadn't had problems. Roughly 17 years old, he, he kills the giant. He does not become king until he's 30. So there's about a 13-year gap in here. And most of that time, he's on the run. Some interesting things. God is so faithful that he never lets Saul catch him. Never catches him. Now, there's some close calls. There's a time when Saul's in the cave. David's in the cave. David could have killed him. He cuts off the edge of his garment, comes out and says, Saul, you know, I could have killed you. And Saul says, I should have never been chasing you. And he leaves. Then he comes back. There's another time when David is, a, is a going around a, mount, a, a, a hill and Saul is closing in. Scripture says that they're on opposite sides of the, of the hill. And right as they're closing in and encircling David, all of a sudden someone races up to Saul and says, the Philistines are attacking and we need your help. And he withdraws. Can I tell you, God's timing's always perfect. He delivers us. He saves us. There was another time when he was pressing in on David. You remember that? And they were called a huge force out, and they were all there. This is the time when Abishai and David sneak into the camp. And the scripture puts it this way, that God put them into a deep sleep. Right? They were just knocked out. And we remember the entire discussion with Abishai. I'll kill him. David's like, no, we can't. So they get out of there. And again, they turn back. So time after time. But David had never been caught. Let me tell you, friends. You may have had some close calls, but you haven't been caught. Why? Because God's faithful. Because God's faithful. He brings you through. He brings you out of the situations of life. And finally, and this one's interesting. David was encouraged by God instead of being encouraged by people. You know, there's something way better about being encouraged by God than by people. There have been some men who had defected to help David. Now, you don't even, there's a small read found in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verses 19 through 20. But in that, it says that there were some men from Manasseh who came and attached themselves, okay, to David right before this entire event. So he could have looked around and said, you know, it's bad and things are smoldering and burning and there's a lot of problems, but I'm getting more guys, and those guys are going to be a blessing. And, and you know, we're going we're gonna to work this out. And I just know together we can do it. Come on. Everybody put a hand in. Go David's team on three. A one, two, right? No. He could have looked for that kind of help. But instead, he listens to what God is saying to him. Charles Spurgeon writes, God was beginning to cure his servant by a bitter dose of distress. And the evidence of the cure was that he did not encourage himself by his new friends or by the hope of others coming, but he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. God was his source of encouragement. Heartaches take us back to our defining moment, that moment of consequential choice. Has God ever taken you back in your mind to that place where you made the wrong choice? 
David, I want you to know how you got here. David, I want you to look around. I want you to understand why things are on fire and smoldering. I want you to remember, when we go back, we know where it happened. 1 Samuel 27, verse 1. David kept thinking to himself, someday Saul is going to get me. The best thing I can do is escape to the Philistines. Then Saul will stop hunting me in Israelite territory, and I will finally be safe. Spurgeon adds, some of the best talks in the world are those which a man, those which a man has with himself. He who speaks to everyone except himself is a great fool. You need to get serious and let God talk inside of you. You know, other people are going to have an opinion. How many of you remember that folks had an opinion that they shared with Job? Now, Job, let me tell you why this happened. Right? Some people probably had an opinion to share with Joseph. Right? All the different problems that he found himself in. But you know what? The best thing that you can do today and that I can do in the worst of times is listen to the voice of God. I say, God, what am I supposed to do right here? We don't have time to read the passages, but it tells us in Scripture that he called for the priest and he said, ask God, should we go? Should we chase them? If we do, will we catch them? God says, go. Will we, will we find them? He says, you will if you go. And so he went. It wasn't easy, but it was the beginning of the end of his problems. Praise God. Anybody ready to get to the beginning of the end of your problems? The beginning of the end of the worst situations that you've ever faced? As the musicians come and as we close today. I wish I could tell you that your worst fears will never be realized. But I can't tell you that. I wish I could tell you that you will never have a problem as long as you've given your life to Jesus Christ, but it wouldn't be true. You see, you look to God when your worst fears come true. Joseph did, Job did, Jeremiah did, David did, and none of them were disappointed. In the midst of your greatest fears, you've got to remind yourself of the unfailing truths that God has already shown you to be the reality because the Lord loves us, we will not be consumed. God's compassions, they never fail us. Every single morning we wake with new hope. God's faithfulness is great. The Lord is our portion and he will provide. You might say, but pastor, things have gotten bad. That's true, but you're still here. You haven't been destroyed. You haven't been consumed. So simply, strengthen yourself in the Lord. Remember, God's love, and you will make it to the other side of your worst fear.